0: This is Drew Kaiser, and you're listening to Wide Margins, episode 32, What is God's Will for My Life? We'll be getting to that in just a moment. Um, I will be announcing soon, probably next episode, another series. Uh, it's, I've only done one so far on the podcast. We're 32 episodes in, it's time to do another one, in my view. And usually I have to do one when I start running out of ideas. And this is about the last idea that I have, outside of some conversations that I would like to have with some people who are really hard to schedule. So I still have a lot of that planned. And when we do a series, I'll break it up. I'll do maybe three episodes at a time, and then pause and, and do something Maybe a conversation with somebody or uh, a standalone episode and then come back to the series. And I won't tell you what series I have in mind just yet because I'm not 100% sure I want to do it. But by next episode, I'll either begin the series or announce what the series will be. So I hope that you will like that. I had a lot of good feedback on the series on Judges. I know that that was very beneficial to me to get that deep into a book that we rarely study and that has all kinds of very difficult issues to grapple with. It was very beneficial to me. Another thing is um, if you haven't checked it out, my new book is out on Amazon.com Christian Faith. This is part of a series on faith, hope, and love. Uh, The book on hope came out in 2013. It also is available on Amazon.com, but the new book is Christian Faith, and it's available, I think, they still have some copies in stock. If you hurry now, you might just get one before they all get taken up. Uh, Just wanted to let you know about that. So today's topic is a question that people ask very frequently. Some people get very anxious about this question. Some people are... You know, up late at night, worrying about it, it enters into the minds of faithful people for the most part. And the question is, what is God's will for my life, me individually, what does God want me to do? And maybe you're asking that question right now because you're trying to make a tough decision, you're maybe thinking about a career change, or thinking about going to college, where do you go, thinking about getting married. And whether you should marry this particular person or not um, all kinds of big decisions in life it usually comes up on the big decisions and there is a misconception about God's will that I want to address before we get into how you discern God's will for your life and the misconception is is simply this the idea that before you were born Uh, before the world was created, God had in His mind some kind of a blueprint for your life. That, you know, like a map for your life. And you're, you're supposed to live according to that. And if you live according to the blueprints, if you're somehow able to discover them, then you'll have a beautiful life. But if you step outside of those parameters... You're just going to be miserable and fail at everything you do. And not only that, but you're going to be very displeasing to God. And you might be accountable for not living according to that blueprint at the end of time. Now that, in some way, shape, or form, is what a lot of people think of when they think of God's will. And it's the cause of a lot of anxiety as they wrestle with these big decisions. Uh, There's even a verse that gets mishandled. A lot in support of this idea we'll call it the blueprint idea for the will of God Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 now if you pull it out of the context it does sound like this and this is how verse 11 reads for and this is God speaking for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope so if you read that out of context, you can just put your name there in place of you. And I know the plans that I have for Drew. Uh, plans for welfare, not for evil. To give Drew a future and a hope. And people really hang on that verse. And they are comforted by the idea that God has plans for them individually. But there's a problem with that reading. Namely, it's ripped out of the context. This is in the book of Jeremiah and it's a part of a letter to the exiles who have been taken out of their homeland in jerusalem and put into babylonian captivity they're being promised a return after 70 years as the verse prior to verse 11 reads here's verse 10 thus says the lord when 70 years are completed for babylon i will visit you speaking to the exiles the people of israel and i will fulfill to you my promise And bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. And that's when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's telling the Jewish people, so that I can fulfill the covenant I made with your forefather Abraham. I made that plan way back then. I am not going to leave you as Babylonian captives. You're not going to just disappear in captivity but I'm going to gather you back up at the end of 70 years and restore you to your homeland, which is exactly what the Lord did. Now, sometimes you can take a verse that's in one context and you can apply it to a different context without mishandling the verse. But in this case, the misapplication, uh, the application in a different context, twists the verse into meaning something beyond its ability to, to bear that meaning. Uh, For example, he's not talking to an individual, he's talking to a group. There's a big difference between God talking to a group and saying, I have a plan for you, and to an individual and telling him, I have a plan for you. Uh, Another thing is this addresses a very, very specific situation, which was mapped out clearly by God, and it's not addressing some hidden blueprint that we have to go out and discover for ourselves that's another big problem with using that verse in that way. This is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. You can see why, because if we use it in the context that it's usually misapplied to, it can be quite comforting. But then again, maybe it's not because in addition to not having scriptural support, this blueprint idea of the will of God has several other issues. First of all, what kind of a God would do that to his people? By that I mean, what kind of a God would secretly plan out this wonderful life and not tell his people, his creation, about it? Why would he do that kind of thing? What if a parent did that to a child? I've got you know, some plans, and we're going, we're going to do them, But I'm not going to tell you what they are. You're going to, in order to have that, you're going to have to discover it on your own. I know some parents will, you know, plan a trip to Disney and so their kids won't drive them crazy or so that it'll be a great surprise. They won't tell them about it until, you know, the day of or something. And then it's this huge surprise. That's not the same thing. The the closer analogy would be if the parents planned a trip to Disney and then went to their children and said, And we've made this very special plan, uh, but we're not going to tell you about it. And if you don't discover what it is, we're not going to get to do the plan. If you can read our minds and figure out the plan on your own, we'll go to Disney World. That's closer to what's being imagined here about the will of God. That's one problem I have with it is what kind of a parent would do that to his child and what kind of a God would would do that to his human creation. The other problem with it is what if I guess wrong? For example, what if the Lord intended a soulmate for me? He meant for me to marry a particular person and I, in my freedom, I thought he meant this other person, I married her, What do I do then? And then what can this idea do to my mind when I'm supposed to commit to marriage and things aren't working out? I might conclude, well, this is not going well because this isn't who God meant for me to marry. And I've heard that before. I'm getting a divorce and I'm marrying this other person because I was meant to be with her and not with her. Uh, What if you're in a job and you're just constantly second-guessing yourself? This isn't going right Failure will always be interpreted as, I must have chosen something other than God's will for my life. And that's not what failure is all about. In fact, sometimes failure is an indication that you're growing, that you're doing something right. You, you must never look at failure alone and say, that one failure indicates that I'm on the wrong path. That's that's not the case. Failure is often a sign that you're on the right path. You're just trying to grow and expand, and and failure can be a, a great teacher. You can learn a lot of lessons from failure. So I have a lot of problems with the blueprint, uh, the blueprint theory of the will of God. It's just not scriptural. It's not common. It doesn't follow common sense. It's it's not reasonable. Uh, when you compare it to God as He has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. Well, so what? It, that brings us back to our question. If it's not a blueprint that I must discover, and it's not some individual you know, map for my personal life, then what is God's will for my life? Because the Bible talks about it all of the time. And to answer that question, I'm just going to do something. I know this is really going to blow your minds, I'm going to read some passages on the will of God for our lives and there's uh, about five here that I'll read through and I'm going to start in Romans with Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and this is the kind of uh, service you get on this podcast you can hear the pages turning uh, this is you know reality you, you got this, the sound effects and everything right here so I'm actually reading from a Bible not from a computer screen and this is Romans chapter 12 not that I I don't have a problem with you reading your Bible on your phone or computer screen I'm just um, trying to fill the time while I'm turning to the scripture is what I'm doing so now I'm here and I'll, I'll quit talking about things that don't matter and read the scripture on God's will for your life I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does it say about the will of God there? It simply says God's will is for you to just give your whole life to Him, body and soul present your bodies as a living sacrifice and it you know echoes those sacrifices animal sacrifices in the old testament and and maybe even Jesus's death on the cross and it's saying your your life should be a sacrifice as well not to pay for sin or anything like that but because your sins have been paid for you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ you belong to God so live as if you belong to him and you will please him. You will be living according to his will. I think that's a very general view and it, of course, is not pointing to any kind of specific blueprint. It's not going to tell you who to marry or where to live or where to go to college or what to do as a career. Here's another one. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it's in the context of whether or not people should eat meat sacrificed to idols so there's a very specific question here as a worshiper is trying to make a decision about you know these foods maybe somebody who's raised in a pagan background and his conscience is bothered by eating food that had been prepared from the markets where the the meat had been sacrificed to idols there was even a superstition that the 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 false god lived in the food, and if you ate the food, it would become one with you. And it's hard to shake those superstitions and traditions we grow up with. Even after you come to believe in something else, it takes some time to work your way out of that. So what do I do if I'm raised, and this is bothering my conscience because I was raised that way? Paul's answer is, here's God's will. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can you eat that meat to the glory of God? If the answer is yes, then eat the meat. If the answer is no, don't. Now this is not in view of a plain scripture saying a false god lives in the meat. You know, Paul is... He says in chapter 8, verse 4 that an idol has no real existence so there's nothing dwelling in the meat. In the food. So... It has more to do with your conscience and what you can do freely and with full joy and to the glory of God and be able to worship Him. And Paul's saying, if you can do this to the glory of God, then by all means, eat the meat. Now, here's another passage, and this one today, it may change, but today this is my favorite passage on the will of God and I think it makes this point very plainly that I'm, I'm going to make in a, in a bit. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is a prayer that Paul has for the Colossians, a prayer that they may come to know the will of God. So if we're going to find an answer, it's going to be right here in this prayer. Colossians 1, verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, so this is the prayer. Now he gets into an explanation of what that looks like, the will of God. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. By my count, he divides... Uh, the will of God into four things there. Number one, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Number two, be fully pleasing to Him. Number three, bear fruit in every good work. And number three, increase in the knowledge of God. Do that. My prayer for you is to know the will of God. What is the will of God? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Be fully pleasing to Him. Bear fruit in every good work. And increase in the knowledge of God. And somebody may read that and say, well, what's that? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, let's go to a couple more passages. Um, really quickly, I won't spend a lot of time on this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. I picked this one simply because it begins like this. This is the will of God. All right, so Paul's about to tell us the answer to our question. What is God's will for my life? Well, he says, this is the will of God. And then he says, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is being made holy or being made pure, which I know happens in the blood of Christ initially, but then sanctification is a way of life as well. After you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, you live as if you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And he goes into some explanation that you abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So what's God's will for my life? Being holy. Well, How does that answer my question about where I should live or who I should marry or what I should do for my career? Well, it answers the question, but I'm going to read one more verse before I get specific on the application here. And this is, again, concerning the will of God. It's James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Now, I'm going to emphasize verse 17, but because verse 17 is taken out of context so much, I'm going to start with verse 13. Come now. Notice the connection between verse 17 and the preceding verses. So, therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We take that out of context a lot to just catch every form of neglect and sin of omission that we can and slap that on as a proof text in our sermons. Uh, in other words, you know, we'll say, uh, you know, you ought to be. Uh, teaching people the gospel. Are you doing it? If you're not doing it and you know you ought to do it, it's sin. Uh, You know you ought to be doing acts of kindness. Did you do that today? You knew you should have done that today. If you didn't do it, that's sin. The problem with that is there's no end to the number of people that you can share the gospel with or the number of acts of kindness that you can perform, and it can turn Service to God into a drudgery and an impossible task, which is not at all the spirit of Christianity. When you put this back into context, it it basically says your life is short. You don't know what you're going to be able to do tomorrow. If you make plans for tomorrow, like if you make decisions according to the will of God, you need to have always in your mind or even in the prayers on your lips, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. I don't know exactly what his plans are for my life tomorrow in terms of whether I live or die. If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. And then today, whatever I know to do, I will do it. So you could insert the little word now into this verse to make more sense out of it in the context. Whoever knows the right thing to do now and fails to do it for him in his sin. It's about not passing up the opportunities of the present time because you got your mind set on what you're going to do tomorrow. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. So basically, we've looked at five verses, and none of them has gotten very specific at all, but they've said things like, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, or be fully pleasing to God, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God, bearing fruit, in every good work, um, be sanctified, be holy, do the right thing as you know it, and do everything to the glory of God. And that's God's will for your life. Do all things to His glory, be holy, bear fruit, do what you know to do, do what you know is right for right now. That's God's will for my life. Um, so, getting back to the specifics Maybe you've got an aging parent and you have a very difficult decision to make here. Uh, Should I care for my mom or dad in my home? Uh, Should I help them make the move into assisted living or even a nursing facility? That's a very tough question. Should I marry this person um, this person not a Christian, maybe. Uh, what's God's will? I think I might have some influence over her on down the road. But right now, she's not wanting to make a decision for Christ. Um, my job is very demanding. It's taking time away from my family. It's taking time away from the Lord. I could take this other job, but it would be less money that I could support my family with. What does God want for my life? you start trying to dig into the specific, God told, God wants you to do this, fill in the blank, you'll never find any peace in that. But if you ask yourself, what job can I work in perfect holiness and bear fruit for every good work and continue to increase in my knowledge for God and do it as a living sacrifice and it'd be the right thing for me to do, and glorify God in it, you'll know what you should do. If you ask, how can I care for my parents to the glory of God, staying holy, being fruitful in every good work, you'll get your answer. If you ask, you know, who who can I marry to the glory of God, that's the right person, given the opportunities that I've had to meet people, and someone who will help me go to heaven, and who will allow me to bear good, bear fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God, and be fully pleasing to Him, you'll you'll have your answer. I I hope I'm being clear here. And there's some applications that I want to make along the way. One is this: when you get your mind straight on what the will of God is for your life, it should change your attitude about what we consider to be the mundane work of life. Everyday, ordinary things. Suddenly they become important, even though they're ordinary and commonplace. Washing the dishes, mowing the grass, uh, taking care of the baby, going to work. All these things suddenly have some great significance to them. And uh, Paul even gave that advice to Servants who were in forced labor situations and couldn't get out of them. He gave them a way to see their work as something meaningful, even though it wasn't what they had chosen to do. Uh, this is Colossians three twenty-three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In your ordinary life, you're serving Jesus Christ. Where does he get that idea? From the idea that, The will of God is generally being holy and and glorifying God. So that's the first thing. Uh, If you have this mentality, it should really change your attitude about your job or your ordinary task or the everyday affairs of life. Number two, it should make us astonished at the freedom God has given us as human beings. Here we are, mortals, dirt by comparison to God. And he basically just says, live within the parameter of holiness and glory to me. And you can do what you want. You can marry whom you want. I'm not going to pick that person for you. You can choose the career that you want. I'm not going to pick that for you. You can live wherever you want. You can be whoever you want to be within the parameter of holiness and glory to me. Can you believe that? I mean, the freedom that he has given us is absolutely astonishing. And I think it's rooted in the idea that we've been created in the image of God. God is independent. God makes his own decisions. He's not going to make decisions for us. He's made us in his image to make decisions on our own. We have that freedom. But that leads to the third thing. If that's true, and we have this freedom then that freedom places even more responsibility on us to please him and makes it all the more important to know him now you can you can follow the orders of a big corporation for which you work without knowing the name of the person who issued the orders or knowing anything at all about that person you can get this memo that's been put out to thousands of different employees and start following it immediately because it's just dictated to you and you have no freedom to go one way or the other no choice whatsoever but what about here's a great example I thought of what if you want to get your wife surprise your wife with the perfect Christmas gift this something that uh, I agonize over sometimes what, what is the perfect gift for her? How can I really honor her and please her and show my love for her in giving her a Christmas gift or any kind of gift? Well, I have to know her in order to do that. I have to know what kind of the things she likes, what kind of things she doesn't like. I have to know some history about her. It would be great if I could make it sentimental. You know, something that has a, a double meaning, you know, a, a, a meaning beneath the the meaning, not just a utility like, you know, a dishwasher or a vacuum cleaner or something like that, you know, a, a, some something with utility, but something special that has something meaningful behind it that illustrates the relationship that we have. The same is true for God. If He is just... One of the reasons He must have just giving us a general parameter instead of ordering us you know d- live in this place and follow this blueprint is to draw us closer to him by doing it this way in other words by explaining his will in this manner he's drawing us closer to him we have to know him better in order to fully please him we have to know the person to give him the gift that he desires. So maybe this releases a little anxiety from you if you're trying to make a big decision right now and you're praying about it. Maybe you've been frustrated and you've been praying, Father, show me which way to go. I'm standing at a fork in the road. I don't know whether to go to the left or to the right. Well, maybe you can go in either direction and be pleasing to Him. You just need to choose the direction and walk in holiness Fully pleasing Him. Increasing in your knowledge. And bearing fruit in every good work. Next week, or next time, I'm going to introduce a new series. Until then, check out some other things that's going on. Uh, Check out my Twitter feed. Not much going on there. Uh, Look me up. Give me some feedback. If you haven't done so, write a review on iTunes. That's always helpful. Most of all, subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for more episodes of Wide Margins.